Uh, we've been in a series entitled Five uh, Pillars, the Five Pillars of Biblical Manhood. Those come straight from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. I would encourage you uh, to, um, uh, to memorize uh, those two verses. The beauty of verse 14, before you think, man, how long is it going to take me to memorize uh, two verses? The beauty of verse 14 is it's got three words. All right, so y'all can do that. And here, here are the five pillars, and you'll hear them. In verse 13, he says, be on your guard. That's pillar number one. We've looked at that. Stand firm in the faith. That's pillar number two. We've looked at that. This is what we're going to look at today. Be courageous. Next week, be strong. And then here's verse 14, do everything in love. And so those are the five pillars of biblical manhood. We ought to be men that are on our guard, always alert. We need to stand firm in our faith and not to back down when our faith is challenged. We need to be courageous. There are times that God will take, tell us uh, to do something. That, uh, that is going to cause courage, that, that, that requires courage. There are times that in there, and this is part of the manhood part, is we've got to be strong. I mean, there are times that we've got to man up both physically and spiritually, and we've got to carry the weight. But then here's the difficulty for us. We have to do everything in love. Everything we do as men, we have to do in love. Now, there's always that fine balance between the testosterone and the brawn and the courage, uh, uh, and, and sometimes uh, a courage that, that, that allows for a little carelessness, carelessness with our life, but at the same time, do it in love. You know, a, a lot of what you hear today in the Christian walk and the Christian faith and you read in books is that uh, men would be better off uh, if we act like our wives. And I want you to know that's not biblical, guys. That is not biblical. God created us differently. If you go all the way back to the beginning, uh, God's creation, it says God created them male and female, and he blessed both of them. There, there, is, there are things, uh, although not every lady is exactly the same. Some have different gifts and different temperaments and different talents and different um, uh, specialties. Uh, not Just as not every woman is the same, neither is every man the same. I mean, some are good at math, some are good at talking, some are good at this, some are good at that. But in general, there are certain things that are distinctive and different, all right, between men and women. And uh, that is a good thing. God created us, guys, in such a way uh, that when we fall, we need to be falling forward. When we fail, we need to be fell. We need to fail falling forward. And so I want you to know that's part of who God made us to be. And so I don't want us to always think when we read the books or when we see what is read, written, and, and I, I read a lot of it, um, that, that, that it seems like everything is about a dad acting more like mom. You know, the, the truth is, uh, young men, our, our, our sons need to see mom acting like mom and dad acting like dad. Now, when I say that, that's where verse 14 still comes in. When we act like dad, we still need to act like dad in love. Does that make sense? And so we always want to hold those two intention. But we always want to make sure that, man, this is part of who God created us to be as men, to come in here. And it's just natural. I mean, it's natural for us to come in here. It's not unnatural for us uh, to come in here and talk about sports and talk about guns and talk about this and talk about that and, and, and to laugh. It's not uncommon. Uh, once a month, we'll come in here and, and Fresh Spirit will be in here on a Friday morning. And guess what? It's a bunch of moms. It's a bunch of ladies. It's a bunch. Guess what? They don't roll in here talking about Yeti. And they don't roll in here talking about the Rangers, and they don't roll in here talking about sports or talking about. Does that make sense? And that's okay. 
Because God created them one way and he created us another way. And so today I want to look at this pillar of biblical manhood is there are times that we have to be courageous, guys. Courage is not our wife's calling. It's our calling. Courage is not the female calling. It's the male calling. Now, in some measure, I'll tell you, you look at my wife and, and she's had, she's, there are certain things she's got a lot more courage in than I have, that it's just how she's built, it's where she's built, uh, you know, part, part of her courage is one of our, when one of our kids are sick, she's got the courage to stand in and stay there, what happens to me, man, I think our kid's sick, put them in the room, shut the door, all right, because I don't want that, all right, <laughs> she's in there changing the sheets and, you know, cleaning up the vomit and taking temperature, and I'm just sitting there going, yeah, they look sick from here. You know, and that's kind of where I want to stay. I want to stay here from here. So it doesn't mean that our wives are not courageous. It doesn't mean our wives aren't strong. There are certain things that my wife is stronger than me at. But there's a reality uh, when it comes to this idea of courage that, men, we need to step up. Uh, we need to step up and we need to take the banner uh, and we need to take the mantle and we need to sometimes charge a hill. Uh, uh, charge a hill for our family, our church, our people, uh, and our country. And uh, so here's what... Uh, Chesterton said about, uh, 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 about courage. He says, the paradox of courage is that a man must be a little careless of his life in order to keep it. A man must be a little careless of his life in order to keep it. You think about it, and I, I've never served in these situations, but if you take, uh, you know, a, a season and you've seen them uh, in uh, military, at least depicted on movies, or you've heard people talk about it, there comes a time, um, uh, apparently, in a, in a military conflict that uh, uh, the more courageous and a bit careless you are, the more chance you're going to survive. The more you try to sometimes just protect your life, the more you're going to lose. And so we need to understand that. So there are times that there needs to be a little wise carelessness in our lives, that we need to be willing to take some risk. If you, you, mentioned, uh, um, uh, you mentioned the sermon Sunday where, where Nehemiah was, he had a good gig. But there was something about what he was asking God to help him succeed at that was a bit careless. Because he could have gone down there and failed, right? He could have failed to build the wall. He could have failed to do it. And let me tell you what, when you leave your job as the cupbearer of the king, you don't, come, you don't go back to it. You don't go back to it. Now, he didn't leave host hostily, and he, he didn't leave uh, in, in a difficult situation, but it's not something you necessarily return to. Man, so there has to be sometimes a little carelessness in our lives. Uh, I love what C.S. Lewis said. He says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, virtues but the form of every virtue at the very testing point. He says, courage is not just one of the virtues. It's the form of every virtue at the testing point, at the boiling point. And so today I want to talk to you about be courageous. And um, so let me start, and you can just stay where you are. I, I want to read you something that will set up the passage we're about to read. And it's all the way back in Exodus chapter 3. This is where Moses is speaking to God at the burning bush, okay? Moses is speaking to God at the burning bush. Yes, we're going to Numbers 13. So if you want to stay there, if you, want, if you can quickly jump to Exodus chapter 3, uh, we're going to read about the first uh, nine verses or so. But it's going to set us up for our conversation from number th Numbers chapter 13. Here's what it says, Exodus chapter 3, beginning with what, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest in Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to uh, Horeb, 
the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought to himself, I will go over and see this strange sight. Now, that's kind of interesting the way they put it there. Moses thought to himself, hey, there's a, there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. How about this? I'm going to go check that thing out, right? Isn't that kind of the curiosity of the man that, you know, let me go see this thing. Hey, that looks like it could go explode. Let's go look at it. How many of you are this way uh, with, with your family? My wife, my wife is uh, real tapped into the whole tornado warning. Okay. In other words, we have kids in, we have two girls that are up in Norman. And so that means she wants the weather reports. There are times that they'll do a tornado war. Wherever she gets one from, whether it's in Allen, Texas, or Dallas, or, or Norman, guess where she goes? She's got her little tornado spot right under the stairs. She goes in there all the time. Guess what? She gets our kids in there. What's my natural tendency? I walk out the front door and look. How many of you, are you the same way? I mean, I admit it. I admit it. I want to see that sucker coming, all right? I think it'll be cool. But, I mean, I'm not going to stand out there and go through it. I'm not looking for to reinvent the Twister movie or something like that. Um, that was the name of the movie, right, Twister, or was that just that game we played when we were kids? Uh, you know, I mean, I do that, and she goes, you're an idiot. I go, I know, but that's part of who we are. And so here, Moses kind of does that whole deal. All of a sudden, he hears the warning. He says, there's the fire in the bush, but the bush isn't burning up. I ought to go check that sucker out. I need to see if I can maybe bottle that and sell it and capitalize on it and franchise these things. We're going to have burning bushes everywhere. And so it says he goes over and he checks it out, checks it out. And he goes, why does this not burn up, but it, does, it is on fire? Then verse 4, it says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at it, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. He says, do not come any closer, God said. Uh, take off your sandals for the pl place that you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said to him, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their, their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have now come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up bring them up out of the land and into a good and spacious land. Now listen to these words, a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now I want you to hear this. It is the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and any other ites you could possibly imagine. In other words, those were the enemy. So what is God saying? He tells Moses right then, Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to remove you from slavery, from bondage, from your slave masters. I'm going to take you to a land. It is a good, good and spacious land. It is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. But I want you to know right now, there are enemies in the land. Let me just name you a few, okay? And so the reality, when God takes us somewhere, when God takes us as men or tells us to go or tells us to do something that we really sense God is calling us to do, it may not be as vivid as, as a burning bush, uh, but it might be some other way in some other season that God is just saying, man, I'm just supposed to do this. 
And God said, and you say, you sense in your heart that God's saying, this is a, this is a good and spacious land. This is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Don't assume that God is taking you to a place where you're not going to have difficulties or troubles or enemies. Does that make sense? Because God defines right here, it's a great place. It is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. But currently, there are enemies in the land. How do you get enemies in, out of the land? You have to go do battle with them, right? And so God lists them out for him. Now listen to this, verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me. This is God speaking. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, so let's fast forward a little bit. Here are the children of Israel. They've come out of Egypt. The plagues have been delivered. They've been through the Red Sea. Uh, they journeyed to a place where they ran out of water, and uh, they, uh, they've encountered bitter water. They've uh, had a lot of amazing things. So now they're over at the promised land, okay? So all of these slaves are now at the edge of the promised land. It is time for them to go in. And this is the first time. This isn't Joshua's time. This is the first time. And so what does God do? God shows up in Numbers chapter 13 and tells Moses, it's time to go into the land. But before you go into this land, I want you to send some spies in, all right? And remember what we've been doing with, um, with this uh, uh, series. In each one of these pillars, I've been showing you an epic fail in Scripture and then a wonderful victory, a sweet victory. I've been showing you in each one of these ideas that I've been showing you where it fell. That's, that's part of the beauty of Scripture, guys, is I love the fact. I mean, how much, uh, uh, how hard would it be if every time we read Scripture, if every faithful man or every faithful person always batted a 1,000? We'd look and we go, I don't come close. I don't measure up at all, Right? But I love the beauty of Scripture is because it's constantly showing us that there were men of great faith and great courage who at a certain season in their life failed. But it also shows us there are times in Scripture, and we're about to see this, there are times where it is a fish or cut bait season where if you fell at this, it cost you everything. We're about to see a generation of the children of Israel die because of the decisions of 10 men. How many of you would say that's an epic fail? A generation are going to die. Not only are they going to die, part of the reason they're going to die because God is going to judge them and say, not one of you who rebelled against me will see the promised land. What a tragic thing. After seeing God move to bring them out of slavery, they never tasted the promised land because of their disobedience, save two guys. And those are going to be the sweet victory. So let's jump down. So let's pick it up, reading in verse 13, uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Send some men and explore the land of Canaan, which I, am which I am given to the Israelites. Notice God's already said, God promised them this land when he, when he was at the burning bush. God promised Abram seasons before. 
that he was going to make him a great nation. He was going to give him a place. He was going to have a land. Man, then God showed up again to Moses, said, now's the time. And so God shows up. Then the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving the Israelites today. He says, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Now, if you look at the spies, how were they chosen? If you wonder, if you didn't know, many of you probably knew, uh, there were 12, 12 spies that were chosen. You can see that in verse th uh, really 3 to 16. Uh, there was one guy chosen from each tribe. One leader was a representative of each tribe. So essentially, that tribe was going to follow whatever that leader said when they came back. And so if you just look through, it says uh, uh, one from the tribe of Reuben, uh, one from the tribe of Simeon, one from the tribe of Judah, one from the tribe of Issachar, one from the tribe of uh, Ephraim, one from the tribe of Benjamin, one from the tribe of Zebulun, uh, Manasseh, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, uh, and Gad. All right? And so those were the guys. Let me call out two of them and point out two guys that are going to stand out above the rest. Go back to verse 6. Uh, from the tribe of Judah... Caleb, all right? If you want to circle that, there's Caleb. And then verse 8, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshua. That is Joshua, okay? You've heard of Joshua. So those two guys, and if you want to know what tribe they're from, Judah and Ephraim, those are two of the, tens, two of the 12, tri, 12 spies that go into the promised land to look at it. So now let's jump down. Let me show you the instructions. Here are the instructions. Jump down to verse 17. Uh, verse 17 to 20, Moses gives them the instructions. He goes, listen, uh, when Moses sent them, the spies, to explore Canaan, he says, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country, see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or is it bad? See what kind of towns they live in. Are they walled? unwalled or are they fortified? He says, check out the soil. Is it fertile or is it poor? Uh, are there trees in the land or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land so we can taste and see. So Moses gives them specific instructions, right? Uh, he gives them specific instructions. He says, hey, go check the land out. We're going to have to go in there. We're going to have to fight. How do you know Moses knew they were going to have to fight a little bit? He says, because the Parasites and the Jebusites and the Philistines, everybody was already in there. So Moses just sends these spies in there with these orders. Go survey the land, spend your time, all right, spend your time walking through the, through the land, bring back some fruits, tell us how the land is, tell us how the cities are, tell us how the people are, tell us everything. And then you come back, what was that for? That was for the purpose of them developing a strategy on how they're going to take over the land. That was why the spies were sent into the land. All right? So now let's jump down to the exploration. Let's go with them. Pick it up in verse 21. Uh, uh, it says, so they went up and they explored the land. Jump to verse 23. Uh, when they reached the valley of uh, Eschol, uh, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of the men carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and some figs. So if you ever want to know, and I shared with you Nehemiah on Sunday, uh, two things that stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, where that came from, Nehemiah, uh, as well as the idea of amen and amen came from Nehemiah, several other things. Uh, Nehemiah actually has the longest prayer in the Bible. If you ever want to know where the idea of, and you've probably seen it in, in your uh, 
uh, probably in your Bibles, in your picture Bibles or something like that. I know that's what all of you, all you guys have. Uh, that uh, you've seen guys carrying grapes and they've got a pole between them. It kind of comes from right here. Here's the idea uh, of these uh, of these guys coming back and they're carrying back grapes. They're cr- carrying back some of the produce of the land. Pick it up in 24. It says that place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of cluster of grapes uh, the Israelites cut off from uh, there. Look at verse 25. At the end. Of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. All right, just so you'll know this, if you're ever asked this, why did the children of Israel, after their disobedience, have to wander in the desert for 40 years? Huh? One year for every day. How many of you think that is a high cost to pay? 40 years. If you ever wonder why the children of Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years, it's because the spies were in the land for 40 days, all right? It's one day for every year or one year for every day. All right, so now let's now come back with the report. So these spies come out after 20, 40 days. Uh, jump down to verse 26. It says, they came back to Moses and Aaron. When all the Israelite community at Kadesh Barnea uh, in the desert of Paran, there they reported to them and to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Uh, so here's the report. They gave Moses this account or this report. He said, we went into the land which you sent us into, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is some of the fruit. Man, they brought back an object lesson. They brought back some of the fruit. It does flow with milk and honey. Man, it is beautiful. But the people, listen to this, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. And the Amalekites uh, live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Now, so what does that happen? Man, they said, but listen, there are enemies in there. They said, to our surprise, this was just not a grocery store. There were, you can just go take what you want. There were actually people in the cities, and they were strong. And they were fortified, and they were big, and, and, and we really can't take them. And that's pretty much what they said. Yeah, your God was right, Moses, when he talked to you in the burning bush. He, he was right. No, God was right about all of it, folks. Not only was it a land that was filled with milk and honey, but it was a land was filled with enemies. And there are times that we have to re- remember as God's children and as men who, who need to walk with courage. When God tells you to do something, it is not always going to be without a struggle, a battle, a fight, or enemies. And a lot of times we can get the, get the perspective, and, and sometimes you, you, can, you can read, uh, uh, I'll just give them the, the best uh, uh, good, good Christian, I'm just going to give them good hearts. People who talk in the Christian world these days that if you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll never encounter any enemies. You'll never have to go through any hardships. You're, you'll never struggle financially. And I'm like, what Bible are they reading? Because struggle and sin and hardship and difficulty and, and having a little true grit, now that was a good movie. 
Yeah, both of them were actually good. Not, not usually they, are, they aren't that way, but that, they were both good. But, guys, we need to understand there's some true grit. So these guys said, yeah, you're right, Moses. What God told you in the burning bush, this land does flow with milk and honey. And Moses said, no, no, no. And he also said there were going to be enemies in the land. I never told you it was going to be easy. I never told you I was going to be able to just roll uh, right on through. And so notice uh, as we jump down, look at what happens. Uh, look at... Um, Look at how Caleb responded, verse 30. He began to sense. He began to sense how this was going. Um, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses said, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. Man, I love that. If God brought us all the way here, boys, let's go. I mean, he, you can't get any more clear than that. Notice they, the other ones had had a long, uh, uh, long little diatribe, but the cities are fortified and the people are very large. Verse 30, Caleb, man of very few words. Anybody ever been around someone like that? Boy, just someone. They didn't speak a lot, but when they spoke, you knew they meant business. Caleb was one of those guys. Caleb said, boys, we can take this land. God is going to give us this land. I don't care how fortified those cities are, how big the enemy is. God has told us this is our land. It is flowing with milk and honey. Let's roll. And man, notice what happened, how the, respond, how the people responded, verse 31. But, when the men, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. I just want you to know there is some truth to that. Okay, what have the children of Israel been doing? They'd been slaves. They'd been walking around through the desert just begging for the next little, you know, uh, little pond of water that they could drink out, the next little food. They'd been just struggling with all of that. And so here they are. These folks were ready to go. And so they told the truth. Listen, they're stronger. They're bigger. They're better. They're, they're, they're battle-hardened people. They've had to fight for their very existence. So the man, uh, but the men who had been with them went up and said, listen, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. That's true. And they spread among uh, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Now let me just point out verse thirty-two. It is not uncommon when uh, those who lack courage to do something for God, their first recourse is to spread disharmony among the people. They're not going to do it publicly. They're just going to sow a little seed here of doubt and sow a seed here of doubt and sow a seed here of doubt and sow a seed here of doubt. So always be careful when, 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 you know, when, when your class is going to do something or your church is going to do something or, 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 or the men are going to do something. Or, hey, always be careful the person that is just kind of back in the back chirping like the chihuahua. Be careful of that because that's what they do. They begin to spread the word among uh, the people of God, and they said, the land we explored devours those living it. All those people who, who are there are of great size. In other words, they're big. Man, if they were a basketball team, they would win. You know, he says that. He goes, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak uh, who come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Man, look at that. You know, we look like grasshoppers. 
Now, that was an exaggeration. That was a hyperbole. I mean, they weren't grasshoppers. But what he's saying is, man, compared to them, when you look at their brain, their bronze and their strength and their uh, artillery and everything they have, we are not prepared for, for victory. It's the same thing we saw with David, right? When David stepped out against Goliath, there was nothing visibly. When you looked at David and you looked at Goliath that said, David is going to lick Goliath. They were telling the truth here, guys. I want you to know. They were telling the truth. These cities are fortified. These people are big. Uh, we're pretty diminutive. We look like grasshoppers, even in our own eyes. In other words, they were telling the truth, but that doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't take into account that God had brought them to this space and brought them to this place, and God was telling them to do it. And, guys, if God is telling you to do something uh, or, or, or a group of men to do something, there are going to be enemies in the land, and we, it requires a little courage. It's not always going to make sense. Now, I'm not going to tell you to run off willy-nilly in everything you do and just have your own personal passion, and, then, and this happens sometimes, and then someone will say, well, God told me to do it. Now, I want you to know, you better make sure there's some confirming signs along the way. What were their confirming signs before they got to there? It wasn't just Moses saying, hey, by the way, I, I, guys, listen, uh, a number of years ago, I spoke to a bush, and, and the bush was on fire, and it didn't burn up, and God said, hey, we're going to have this land. Remember, God had already given them confirming signs they were headed in the right direction. You remember the plagues in Egypt? You remember the Red Sea? You remember the bitter water becoming fresh water? You remember some of the battles they had already had and already won? Those were all confirming signs that what? They were heading in the right direction. So when they get here, it wasn't like God had not played a couple of spades for them. You know what I'm saying? God was saving the ace of spades, and they just had enough faith. But, but anybody ever played spades? What do you do? You don't want to play your biggest spade first. You want to toss. I just want to win the hand. I want to win the hand. Man, from Egypt all the way to the edge of the promised land, God had just been winning the hand, winning the hand, winning the hand, winning the hand. Now all of a sudden, God is sitting there with the ace of spades, ready to give them the sweetest thing they could have ever imagined. And they folded and quit. And God, God didn't even get to play his hand for them. And I think there are a lot of times for us, guys, is, is that, that we, we will follow uh, God up to a point. We will follow God up to a point. And because we lack courage... We won't see the best that God has for us. Even after there have been a confirming sign after confirming sign after confirming sign that if you'll be faithful to me and you'll follow me, I'll get you where you're going. And so, guys, my, my challenge for you and my fear for you is that, and I've seen this with men over my years of, of pastoring, I've seen a lot of guys make some wonderful strides and come a long way. Make some steps here and steps here and steps here and nothing gives me more of a thrill. I'll tell you what, you want to get goosebumps in your pastor is you let me see a guy who one spiritually was here and now he's here just in a few short years. How many Easter's ago was it? Two Easter's. You want to see a man that's come a long way?
There's your testimony right there, guys. There's several others in here that you've come a long way. But I want you to know you can come a long way and still not be where God wants you to be because God has so much more for you. But there's also within the heart of every man to go so far and then settle down. Guys, don't let that be us. Don't let that be the men of Cottonwood. And guys, I'm going to tell you, don't you ever let it be your pastor. If you ever sense that I've just kind of shut it down, I'm going to, I'm going to give you everyone in this room permission right now. Give me a swift kick in the butt. And say, Pastor, if you are breathing, you are called. And if you are called, you better be leading. And if I'm leading, guess what? That means we're crossing a river somewhere, right? We're doing something. Because God is not through with this church, and he's not through with anyone. You want to know, know how I know that God's not through with anybody in this room? Because you're still breathing. Listen, when you stop breathing, God's done with you on this earth. All right? So let me go back. And, and so here's, here, here's the courage was, uh, that was outnumbered. and said, Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, stepped up. Jump, jump, into, uh, jump over into uh, chapter 14, verse 6 to 9. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, uh, who were among those who were exploring the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only, listen, it's Joshua and Caleb. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the Lord of the land, because we will devour them. I love that. All right? Caleb just said, listen, we can do it. Now, now Joshua and Caleb have stood up together. It seems like Caleb took the lead. Joshua stepped up. He goes, listen, we're going to smoke them. We're going to devour them. I mean, tennis, we're going to straight sets. It's going to be whatever love. We're gonna, you know, soccer, is, it's whatever it is, kneel. You know, we're going to hit them to kneel. I don't know what kneel is. That must mean a little. Uh, I mean, we're going we're to run rule them in baseball, all right? We're going to get in victory formation when we're done with them in football. And that's what he's saying. They're saying, man, we're going to tear them up, guys. doesn't matter who the enemy is. But if we're going where God wants us to go, and we're going to be where God wants us to be, we're going to have the victory God wants us to have. But we have to be willing to go. And so he says, only do not rebel against the Lord. This is verse 9. I'm in Numbers chapter 14. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Therefore, do not be afraid of them. What is he saying? Be courageous. This is just part A of Be Courageous. Come back next week, and I'm going to show you the rest of the story. And it gets better for some. It gets worse for others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these guys in this room. Lord, when they charge out of here today, I, I, I pray that, that they would go with courage. 
that, that they would say, if God has called me here and God has called me to do this, that regardless of the enemies, regardless of those who fight against me, regardless of those who, of, of those who rebel against God, if I will simply be faithful and simply be courageous, even if it requires a little bit of carelessness with my own life, I know that God will go before me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Take care. God bless. Have a great day, guys.